0: Welcome to The Burnout Show, a weekly conversation with special guests who generously share their burnout stories with us. We also chat with health and wellness experts on how to best navigate burnout when you're in the thick of it, as well as how to avoid it returning. And now, here's your host, Jess Jones. Thanks for coming back to The Burnout Show. Before we get into today's chat with the lovely Renee Deneen, I wanted to remind you that if you are struggling right now and looking for some extra support, the Breaking Up With Burnout mini course is available now. You'll get access to three modules that cover life, work, and burnout, which you can move through at your own pace. Head to the link in our show notes to find out more or go to theburnoutclub.com slash burnout Now, here's Renee. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Burnout Show. Today's special guest is Renee Deneen. Renee, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for your time. Can you share a little bit about what
1: you do? I do mostly executive and team development globally, but I work out of California. And I was internal for over 20 years, and I've been out on my own for about 5 or 6 years. So that's that the highest level of what I do. I also write and I mm. run nonprofits and do some other stuff, but that's the heart of what I do.
0: Right. So what led you down this path? You know, I my career grew up in the early
1: 90s. So I was lucky enough to go to graduate school in the Bay Area, which is kind of the heart of the Silicon Valley and the first mm. big dot-com boom. So my background as an organizational psychologist is, was really nourished in being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I spent uh, my first 6-7 years in high tech and during that, uh, just incre- like 95 to 2000-ish. And then I moved yeah. into biotech, yeah. which sure. was kind of the new technology, the new industry. And it was only kind of like 50 miles down the highway, but a whole other world. So, I really got to play in the space of like the people and organizations and how they work and don't work and what really constitutes a happy, motivated employee. Um, what does leadership mean? So, those are the topics I've been studying and living and practicing. And I absolutely love it. But, you know, more of my story will unfold. I loved it until it, it started taking a lot more than it was giving. Yeah. yeah. So, what did you want to be growing up, Renee? Oh gosh, I wanted to be a vet at some point. I wanted to be a jockey. <laughs> and then I yeah. I mean I'm not that tall. I'm only five five, but um, I was too tall. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to be free. That's what I, yeah. I resonate still with that today. Um, yeah. So you feel you have that freedom now
0: in what you get to do?
1: I have more freedom than ever, but of course I'm, you know, I financially contribute to our home. I have two teenagers, I'm a wife. So Free is relative.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Ah, yes, oh, so tell me about the work that you did. What do you think were some of the the differences between, I guess, the high tech industry and then biotech? Did you see some patterns and certain skill sets that led to, you know, people driving themselves into the ground and burning out, and, and that overworking sense in in those types of industries? Oh wow! I love the question,
1: and shockingly, I've never gotten it. But I Mm. have a lot of like I'm like, ooh, say say that. It's like right there. I lived overseas for many years, and I've really well traveled. So, what isn't true is it's just America that our collects, right? And some people. However, the the culture of America is reward the one who does the most, right? Reward the one who raises their hand, reward the one who sacrifices their health and well-being. It's why we're divorced, obese, and drug addicts. You know, I mean, there's... By that, I mean, like pharmaceutical grade. So that's a real thing. And I have yet to thrive either working for or with a company that has gotten that as right as they can. So I think it's... Mm. The attention on this topic of burnout and overdoing and overworking has definitely taken a a more useful and and a bigger stage. But I think getting underneath that, the habits, the mindsets, the sense of fear that comes with not doing as much as you possibly can, even though you're killing yourself, is real. Yeah. Yeah, So Silicon Valley, I remember... um, I, if I left before seven, I had to carry stuff with me. I can remember this like, Oh, I get, oh. I'm not going to work tonight, but I'm going to carry my folders out and books and look, so like, look like you were. Wow. Yeah. And what then biotech a little bit better, but where they got it wrong, the travel, cause you're all over the world, your sites in order to manufacture, you need sites everywhere. And I worked in that part yeah. of this. So they, you're just away from home. You're on airplanes, you're managing time zones, you're, You know, jumping from meeting to meeting, and so Mm. just a whole host of bad habits that we've told ourselves are necessary to run a good business, and um, most of them are are lies.
0: Yeah, and it'd be hard to with all that uh, that travel. It'd be hard to manage your diet effectively, exercise. You know, health moms kind of goes out the window a little bit alongside sleep routines. You know, yeah, for sure.
1: I was an insomniac for twenty years.
0: Mm.
1: I just told, I mean, I was, I told myself I'm a night owl. My mom was, you know, insomniac. I I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'm a new mom. I'm an expat. I'm, I'm this all sorts of reasons. And I do think that my lack of sleep and my relationship with sleep was a major contributor to my burnout five years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I guess you tell yourself these stories because you're trying to justify it and avoid the, the, the big old truth, which is you need sleep and and you're not getting it, and you're seeing your work and your health suffer, and relationships and everything that you know makes up your life as well. So the stories are are safe, they're good excuses.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm triggered. I'm I'm tired, and people accept that. And it's like, well, mm. then figure out how not to be tired all the time because you're creating okay. havoc for yourself and others.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Have you seen any? organizations or particular industries that are doing employee well-being well
1: An industry so let me I mean of course the high tech is super exciting and necessary in technology and, and biotech mm-hmm. as well making life-saving drugs but do they value healthcare? I mean being in the biotech I, I did in some respects like oh I wonder if they'll value health and well-being more Well, Mm -hmm. here's a telling story that just fell into my memory. When I first got out of grad school, I was in grad school still. I was offered two internships to the same company. One was in wellness Mm -hmm. and the other was learning and development. And one wasn't paid. Right. So I didn't take it because I was like living off of, (laughs) you know, very little money at that time. I Mm -hmm. couldn't take it. So that was like a symbol, I think, of of importance. Has it gotten better? Yes. Are we there yet?
0: Absolutely not. No, yeah. no, definitely not. So in your own experiences of burnout for yourself, can you tell me what your life was like in the lead up to that big burnout mm-hmm. moment?
1: So my burnout moment was in two thousand and thirteen, fourteen, 14 mm-hmm. and I left my really my entire corporate identity, the people and places I'd known and the identity that I'd really anchored in 2015. And um, a big reason was that I had just just whacked myself out physically. And I pride myself on my health and well-being, but I was totally not congruent. So I was working 60 to 70-plus-hour weeks. I was sleeping 4 hours a night. I was completely and totally addicted to my email and my telephone I was not present at the dinner table. I was justifying my lack of quality time with my kids. Mm -hmm. I was making commitments I couldn't keep and canceling. And then my physical manifestations beyond the sleep were that I actually had developed a tremor and also a stutter around 2013-14. And my doctor thought I had MS. And thankfully, I did not... But I it was basically stress induced. I had just yeah. brought my whole nervous system, my adrenal system to the brink and it was yelling at me. And so mine wasn't such a one big, like all of a sudden I just crumbled in a meeting and totally, you know, lost it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Although there were moments when I was like, I wish I could just lose it right now. <laughs> yeah. But it was a bunch of small but meaningful events and feelings and thoughts that I just mm-hmm. kept ignoring until it was like. You almost had NMS, you don't, but you still have a stutter and you still have a tremor. What are you going to do? So it was yeah. it took me a good year or two to get my body back, really showing up in the way that it
0: was designed to do. Mm. Yeah. What did those first few steps look like for you? So how did that, mm-hmm. I guess, when you finally said, this is not okay, enough is enough, what did you start to change for yourself?
1: So. I know this isn't realistic for many listeners and I also know that it may not be the right choice for them but I for about a year I was living overseas when this happened and um we had come back and I was thinking can I show up in this job in this organization in a healthier way like really like can I and the answer I came to was no and it wasn't just I could have. Actually, that's not fair. I could have. But I also knew that I had other wishes for myself. I wanted to work... I'd been in the biotech industry for 15 years. You know, I wanted to work in different capacities. I wanted to work with nonprofit. I wanted to um, put a, a deeper stake in the ground around work with women. I wanted to coach and really coach, like go where I knew that they needed me to go, but I couldn't on the inside. And so there were other motivations. But I just left. And um at the time, I was... I was the breadwinner and a lot of stability, and I just trusted that I had enough of a track record and enough resolve and vision in in my mm-hmm. plans that I was going to be okay. Um, and one of the anchors I put was, "I'm not going to work more than twenty hours a week." Oh, that's huge! I say that knowing that that's not always possible. So, but that was how I anchored myself because I could still, I could feel 60 today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not the issue. The issue is what, what kind of 60 do I want that to be? And so I would prefer that part of that 60 is carpooling. (laughs) You know, my kids are now in a very demanding high school, like being totally present with homework, um, more time with my husband, exercise, time with girlfriends, uh, personal travel. So I, I traded out things mm. that were more nourishing, more sustainable and things that I could choose. I could take or leave as opposed to just convincing myself I had to do it all. Yeah. But not everyone has to leave. The, the second thing I did other than leaving and working a lot less hours is that I had it took me a year, but I said I am going to sh- change my entire relationship with sleep. Mm-hmm. I am no longer going to relish in my title as an insomniac. I'm no longer going to accept that as a, you know, way to live my life. I was, you know, taking an Ambien at times. Like I if I traveled, you know, everyone's taking it. We'd be on the airplane, literally like people are handing out Ambien. I mean, you know, it was so like, what? Um, yeah, yeah. And I knew, you know, that I wasn't good for my body. So I needed to find more ways to sleep, get my rhythm back to where it needed to be to fall asleep on my own, meditation, things
0: like that. Yeah. So what was it like for you? Yeah, that's right. And it's something that so many people find it really hard to do, myself included. And I think it is, like you said, really understanding that there's a a buffet of choices on what that looks like for everyone and deciding for yourself what's going to work for you, which things bring you joy, which things mean rest, stillness, whatever it is. Yeah. Mm.
1: And saying no to those things, that's the other big practice. This sort of yeah. the infamous no. If no is the authentic choice, yes. like how do you say that and be okay with that? I don't I don't mm. know where we got into a world where no was not okay.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of it came from that, you know, idea of the hustle culture and saying yes to all opportunities because you just don't know what might come up for you or what it might lead to. And it's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves. Mm-hmm
1: that and I do and I and I still do have or did and still do that kind of fear of missing out or
0: yeah
1: with my own if I say no to that client would I just go find someone else and then I you know there's a a lot of real fear in in all of that I get it
0: yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely so what were you like growing up you mentioned obviously you did a lot of studying at what point did you start to be this person that was you know overworking overachieving suddenly working a 60-hour week was that more of the demand of the industry you're in, the, the job mm-hmm. that you had, or did you just, was there any point where you suddenly went, how did this happen? <laughs> and how did I get here?
1: Such an intuitive question. So the on, most honest answer I can give you is I was always like that. And how do I know that? Um, my mom is a complete and total workaholic. She's 76 and she works 60 hours a week. So I was well modeled, very well modeled. Mm-hmm. Also a, a chronic insomniac. My dad, he was law enforcement. He was married to his job. So I was... you know, The positive, I was raised by 2 parents, did very different things, but were very passionate about their working life and identity and what they did and took a lot of pride and value in that. And so how could I... But I didn't hear that. That wasn't necessarily like, oh, look how it is to be passionate and take pride in your work. I did. I felt those things. But that that my honest answer, like that isn't what fed my addiction, What fed my addiction, series of bad habits, I think really getting myself to this point where, you know, I, like my friends say, you were always like that in high school, you know, you were riding horses, you were doing cheer, you were this, you were that you were at every party you were I was, you know, I was constantly connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, busy, busy, and my I remember my Nick, uh, my mom did like this had a reading or something with a Native American, and they she talked about me, and they said, "Oh, your daughter sounds like scouting pony, oh. like always looking like yeah. what's the next thing I can?" And I have a fourteen year old daughter, and unfortunately, I see myself, you know, in her, and I think, "Oh gosh, don't don't do it." Stop <laughs> next. Uh, we'll see if I can break the chain of events and cycle here, but it was well modeled. I was rewarded for it too,
0: yeah, of course. Very
1: much like call Renee; she'll know. Oh, ask mm-hmm. Renee; she'll do it. Oh, get Renee here; she needs to be here, right? It was—it's a big yeah. boost to my already well-anchored identity and addiction.
0: Mm. So definitely, um, yeah. Mm. And there's that validation piece that comes in then—that you're constantly getting the acknowledgement, validation. Yep, you'll do it. You know, you can do it. You'll be there. Yeah, yeah, you have the no, answers. Give it.
1: And I remember, like, someone said, "Well, why do you why do you volunteer?" I had a boss say, "We're okay, Renee. Why would you volunteer?" And I was like, "Yeah, why did I volunteer?" And I can remember <laughs> sitting at that time, and like, I think ten seconds passed where no one raised their hand. Like, I didn't even let. I didn't go like this, but I was like, "No, I don't want to do it." And but I was uncomfortable with no one else doing it. Wow. And it was like I needed to intervene on my behalf. I didn't know how back then, mm-hmm. but. I had a couple of people give me an honest reflection of what they were seeing. I had the physical manifestation and I had other motivations that couldn't be served in, in the way I was living my life. So
0: mm. did you find that there was a bit of a sense of an identity loss when you finally make, made the call to, to stop living your life that way and, you know, being in that career and being in that industry for so long, how mm-hmm. did you feel when it was finally time to pull yourself out of, Renee, the 60, 70-hour-a-week worker, you know, biotech, been there 15 years to just, I'm going to see what I need to do for myself and my family now. What was that mm-hmm. shift like?
1: Hmm. Which identities did I shed? I, um, given what I do for a living, I was really conscious of what those identities and, and in a way, the ego structures that I was mm-hmm. breaking. And the disappointment that those decisions might have on other people who were used to me showing up in a certain way and a small from like, Oh, that sounds really fun, but I'm not going to go. And a friend like, wait, what you won't even try those little like to like, okay, are you sure you don't want it? Nope. And you know, they go with another coach or consultant and I have to live with that too. And so I had to really be ready. Um, But the main identity that I shed and I, it's become an affirmation for me is who I am, what I have, and what I've done is already enough. And I just, and I say that now you can hear a little tear like you know, emotion behind it because I know it's true, but even I say it and it's like I have to take a big gulp. Oh do I Can you repeat that affirmation? That's who I am, what I have, and what I've done is already enough.
0: Oh, I think so many people, myself included, need to hear that because we're constantly waiting for that next fix, that next, you know, striking something off the to-do list, getting that goal, succeeding mm-hmm. in all these areas where we think we constantly need to improve and be better and just never really being okay with, hey, I've done enough, I'm doing really well. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I can imagine it would take a Years of really um truly believing that after saying it so long,
1: and I just read an article this morning on the power of affirmation, and this woman was like, "Here's the go-tos, you know, like I am well, enough is enough." And it's like, you know, I think we all need, we all have our go-to statements that we know are true, but we don't quite believe them. Believe them. Mm. So it's you know, it's that it's the work. I you mean, know? the yeah. work.
0: The road exactly. left travel
1: for me is that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other is at the time my kids were eight and ten. And so I had to decide to be a conscious and present mother as an identity, which I couldn't claim back then, or a you know, successful executive making a million dollars a year or whatever, like which brought me, I love your brought me more joy. Which or even like not that I like to live with the glass half full or empty. I, I am a kind of a half. Full versus empty person, but I think this idea of like uh, can I do both, and if not, which one am I gonna really regret not being great at so i did cho- i choose chose myself first, I chose my family, and then I really reworked my identity around what it looks like to contribute
0: yeah. and
1: be of service, and it didn't look like that anymore so i I really i don't resonate with that at all, and at certain times in our life that that may be the identity that is it's, you know, you can do well and still be healthy. For me, it wasn't,
0: yeah. Mm, yeah. So what are you most excited about in your life right now? So
1: last February, right before COVID like hit the world, even though we know it was out there for several months, I did a TED Talk the title is Authentic in Action. I'm doing the doing in a do-crazy world. And so I really did that TED Talk. Everyone's like, wasn't that just another thing to do? You know, fair enough. But I distinguish <laughs> between authentic action and inauthentic action. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: yes, I had a goal of doing a TED Talk, but I wanted to wait till I had a topic that could be of great service. And so I'm really excited on the way that that message has started to turn into a movement. Mm-hmm. I have a, a book that I'm writing. I have a second book called Deep Tissue Living. Yeah which is really like doing that deep cellular level work for self and others so that you can transform yourself and others from the inside out. So it's also a leadership book. So I'm excited about that. I I love having a writing voice and I love the... Well, I shouldn't say I I love the experience of writing. I kind of stink at the discipline of writing. So (laughs) that part I have to get better at. And then um, I just um, registered my company, which is going... Right now I'm under RMD Coaching Consulting because I couldn't think of a great title way back, you know, five years ago, but Deep Tissue Mm -hmm. Living Institute, and which is a platform for my, you know, my most meaningful and of service work in the world. And so just bringing that to life in the coming year. So those are just some creative projects. But what am I most excited about? I mean, just being like my kids never saying my mom wasn't there, or like, they're in high school kind of seeing like, my love and my like identity around who I am and aligning what I do with who I am, like seeing how that unfolds for them in these coming years, and seeing if indeed I broke the cycle,
0: yeah, or not. So yeah, my fingers are crossed. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Amazing. Um, what's something you've done that you're most proud of?
1: Hmm. I mean, leaving leaving something I still loved. Mm for a really good reason. I'm proud of that. And um, I always tell clients, you know, when we coach, you probably know this half of people you coach leave their jobs. It just happens. Companies pay all this money and they're like, what happened? Because you get really, you get really clear, you get clearer, I suppose, and a little braver, maybe and more emotionally invested in your happiness and joy. So I think that there is this um, feeling of pride I have around staying in my work and staying in recovery and staying married. <laughs> yeah, because we both have big lives and you know just really like honoring those commitments in a, in a more integral and congruent way. I'm proud of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And finally, what's one piece of advice that you'd share with someone listening today who's going through burnout themselves? Hmm. I'll say my
1: quote again, but then I'll I'll add it in more of an advice. So, who you are, what you've done, what you have is already enough, and that truth is is does not need unveiling. It's true for most people. It really is, particularly most people who are at that risk of burnout stage. Um, And the other thing I would say is, you know, if not you, then who? I don't think that balance and life choice is kind of really coming into a life of your choosing, and no one will do that for you. No one is going to say, oh, let me help you work less. Let me take that off your hands. Oh, let me yeah. just give you a massage. is going to do it. You know, as lovely as the people in your life are, if not you, then who? And so, you know, it's, it's a hard journey, but it's a worthy journey. And um, when you get clear, the universe shows up.
0: Yeah. 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 Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Renee. Oh, uh, thanks for the topic and for your work in the world. It's
1: been a, a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you're suffering from burnout or want some tips on how to avoid it, join our Facebook group, The Burnout Club Community. If you've gotten something out of today's episode, we'd love your review. Simply click the link in the show notes to share your thoughts. Until next time, go gently.